you'll remain standing now as we share in God's good word together these words from the Gospel of Luke. Let us read together. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter of you? And he said to them, Take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for sharing with me in that. We read from the Gospel of Luke as Jesus has asked, what makes one rich? And Jesus tells them this parable of, of this very wealthy man, this, this man who had so many things, who had so many possessions that he couldn't even store them in his barns, that he had run out of storage, he'd run out of places to put things. Maybe you can relate. And, and, and he ran out of so much space that he thought, well, what I'll do is I'll, I'll tear down my barns, I'll tear down my storage, and I'll build up bigger storage, bigger barns, bigger silos. And then, finally, then I will be able to relax And Jesus calls this man a fool. Jesus, this wealthy man, this this man who is believed to have everything that he ever needed, Jesus calls this man a fool. And he says, this very night, your life is being demanded of you. And those things that you have, those barns that you built, whose will those be? So it is with those who store up their treasures on earth and not in heaven. These last few weeks, we've been going through a sermon series called All the Places to Go, and it's been about discerning God's will in this world. How do we find God's will? How do we we know what God is calling us to do? And, And then when we find those things that God has called us to do, when we find those doors that God has opened for us, how do we walk through them in faith? How do we walk through them boldly, and and, and how do we do that in a faith-filled way? Last week, we talked a little bit about open doors and, and how many times God provides us open doors to provide grace to other people. And many times they don't deserve it, but they still deserve it because God first gave that grace to us. Now we are called to give it to another. And this week, we are talking about the doors that we open for others because we find it is what we are made to do. This week, This week and throughout the sermon series, we've been talking about how open doors are opportunities provided by God for you to bless others. That open doors are an opportunity provided by God for you to bless others. Who say that last part with me? That open doors are opportunities provided by God for you to bless others. And that to bless others part is just hard. Like, like if, if that to bless others part was just left out, we would all be fine and good. That this would be so much easier. Because many times we want to use open doors for ourselves. We, we want to use these open doors as an opportunity just to benefit our own needs, our own wants. That this is how we want 
open doors to work in our lives, but that's just not the way that it goes. We, we find that we have uh, what John Ortberg writes in, in, his, in his book, uh, a fear of missing out. A fear of missing out. And he, and he blames a lot of this fear of missing out on, on Facebook and, and on Instagram and, and Twitter. Uh, maybe you can relate that, that the hours and hours that we spend on Facebook, the longer that we spend, the more jealous that we get, right? The more envious that we get. There's actually been studies that have proven that more time spent on Facebook results in a more likelihood of depression. This is actually true. People have studied this, that, that the longer we spend on Facebook, the more and more we get depressed about our own lives. Because we're on Facebook and we're scrolling through all of these pictures of, of these things that other people want us to see, right? right? This is the projected self of somebody else. This is, this is how they want you to see them. And, and, and most people don't post about the mundane things of their lives. Well, some of you do, but most of us, <laughs> right? Some of you post, oh, laundry, blurg, right? And, and that, that's fine. That's your Facebook. But most of us don't do that, right? We project this self that we want others to see, right? This vacation with our, with our feet up and, and, you know, just the, the beach just beyond. And, you know, this, this perfect little thing that has happened that, oh, my child got an A or, you know, this is a projected self. It, it's not real. And so when we scroll through Facebook, when we go on social media, we can come to think that our lives are supposed to look like that, that maybe we're doing something wrong and we get this fear of missing out. We get this fear of missing out. If you've never experienced this, I've brought something to show you um, just to help you kind of experience it. Um, There is a website called Rich Kids of Instagram. And um, Instagram, if you don't know, is a social media site where you just post pictures. Uh, and, 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 and these, these children, these kids, have, have uh, developed their own website, and now they post to this website called Rich Kids of Instagram. I have a few f- photos to show you uh, from that website. Um, this one's just titled, the, That Yacht Life, you know, Don't I Know It, right? I mean, this is, this is Rich Kids of Instagram. And, and, and the next one uh, will, will make you feel even worse about your life. It, it says... Uh, house sitting for parents on this gorgeous day, and of course there's a mansion in the background, and you know, and a pool and a hot tub, and oh man, that just looks perfect, right? That just looks so great. And uh, here's another one uh, that I liked: uh, going up on a Tuesday. Hashtag family. Hashtag dog. Hashtag happy. Hashtag love. Hashtag dogs fly private. This dog has a better life than I do, right? <laughs> if we're talking about a fear of missing out. I, I'm, I'm missing out. I'm not flying private. This dog is, right? We develop this fear of missing out. We don't want to lose it, right? There, there's something that we're supposed to be experiencing and we're not. And so we try to store up all these things for ourselves. We, we try to gather as many possessions as we can around just, just to make sure that we don't miss out. And we try to go on as many vacations as we can over and over again, sometimes back to back, just to make sure that we don't miss out. And, and we sign up our children for thing after thing after thing just so they won't miss out. And it becomes this neurotic just obsession just so that we won't miss out on anything. That, that if, if we can just pack in enough stuff in our life, then maybe our lives can be meaningful. And what Christ tells us is that is not what it's about. That's not what it's about. This this fear that we have, this, this fear of missing out, it, it's human. It, it, it's in all of us. 
In fact, we read about it in, in the book of Genesis. In the second creation story, we read about, um, about the first man and the first woman being placed in the garden and being told not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we also read of a serpent tempting the humans to eat. We read these words that, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent wants to tempt the woman into eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and how does he do it but by saying there's something you're missing out on? There's an experience that you haven't had. And, and it's about being like God. It's about seeing both good and evil. This, you've been put in this perfect world. You've been put in which everything is right. Everything is good. Everything is the way God intended. And, and, and if you eat of this fruit, there's something you're not experiencing. There's, there's evil out there. And, and if you eat of it, you, you can experience that evil for yourself. And even as ludicrous as an idea as that is, the humans eat. And they have this experience. And they realized that thing in which they were missing out on wasn't really something to miss out on. But this fear is in all of us. We, we try to accumulate all these things we can for ourselves. We gather as, as many possessions as, around us as we can just so we won't miss out. And that's the story of the rich man. The rich man who, who has so many possessions, who has so many things that he, he, he doesn't even have enough space to put them in. And he gathers all of these things around him and, and, and he finally thinks to himself, self, I can finally relax. I can finally take it easy. I can, I can finally put my feet up and, and take that vacation I've always wanted or, or just do all these things. And now notice that it is not simply wrong that the man had possessions. The, the sin is not that he had possessions, but it was about the faith that he put in those possessions. And it's for this reason that Jesus calls the man a fool. Again, Jesus calls this rich man a fool, that, that if you had wealth, if you had prosperity in the time of Jesus, it was believed to be a blessing directly from God, that, that it was believed that those who were wealthy were blessed by God, and, and those who, who, who were injured, or, or those who had abnormalities, or those who were poor were cursed by God. And so Jesus takes this rich man and puts him up on a pedestal and says, he has so many things, he can't even store them for himself. And they all go, oh, wow, he's really blessed by God. And Jesus calls him a fool. Jesus calls him a fool. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, a great civil rights leader, actually preached on this passage. And he says that, that Jesus calls this man a fool because he minimized the maximum and maximized the minimum. He minimized the maximum, and he maximized the minimum. That in our lives, in our world, it is so easy to take this world as the maximum. It is so easy to take immediate gratification. It is so easy to take what's right there in front of us as the most important thing. But what Christ tells us is that one day, God will call on us. God will call on us and he'll say, your very lives are being demanded of you. Now, 
Now, when we first read that, and we read that, that God calls on the rich man and says, your very life is being demanded of you, we, we interpret that as death, that, that God is d- demanding his life back from him. But I, I don't think Jesus meant it simply as death. That when God said, I'm demanding your life from you, that, that maybe now it was time to cash in. That, that these things, it's now time to make this deposit, that, that you've spent this life, I've given you this life, you, you, you're supposed to use it for, for the good of all of those around you, that now I'm receiving it back from you, and what have you done with it? You've stored up these barns. In fact, you've built even bigger barns. And here I see you've minimized the maximum and maximized the minimum. Martin Luther King Jr. also calls this man a fool because he says that he failed to recognize his dependence on others. That he failed to recognize his dependence on others. That this man was a wealthy man, he was a landowner, he had many crops. That it wasn't just him out there reaping the harvest. In fact, he paid people to do it for him. And here he was thinking that he had done all of this himself. Martin Luther King reminds us that Wherever we are, somebody has helped us get there. Wherever we are, somebody has helped us get there. Maybe that's your mother. Or maybe that's been a figure that's been like a mother to you. Or maybe that's been a father or a brother or sister or friend Whoever that is in your life, I hope you will take the time today to thank that person. To thank that person, to stop them, and to say, you know, it's really easy for me to think that I got myself here. It's really easy to think that all of my good works, all of my smarts, all of my education, all, everything that I've done, it's really easy to think that I've gotten myself to this point, but really, I couldn't have done it without you. Really, I couldn't have done it without the, the love and the support and the prayer that, that you gave me. Thank you for that. And because of what you've done in my life, I in turn will do it for another. What a gift that could be. What a gift that could be from someone in your life knowing that the reason that you are a good person, the reason that you are opening doors for another is because they did it for you. That they are passing on this legacy for another because of what they did and because of what you did in their life. This man was a fool not only because he failed to recognize his dependence on others, but because he failed to recognize his dependence on God. Again, it's very easy to, to, to maximize the minimum, to think that this world in front of us, these things in front of us are the most important thing. But what we fail to recognize is the God standing behind them. The God constantly beckoning us to come home. Welcoming us into loving arms. John Ortberg writes in All the Places to Go that, that this story of the rich man is really about priorities. About priorities. And, and he lists these priorities and asks for all of us to scale them and, as in priority in our lives. In other words, How much do you value approval from others? How much do you value approval from others? An easy way to tell is is when you post a picture to Facebook or Instagram, how quickly do you look for those likes? 
right? Talk about immediate gratification. That's good, right? When you get like above 30, you're like, man, I'm, I'm living large, right? This is good. How much do you value the, that approval from others? How much do you value excitement or passion or thrills? That if you want your life to be a 10 just all the time, you're really going to be disappointed a lot of your life. How much do you value excitement, passion, or thrills? How much do you value possessions? How much do you value security or comfort? Orberg writes, how much do you value deeper relationships or satisfaction in service or interaction with God? And he says, if anything comes before those last three, well, then we need to rearrange our priorities. There's something much easier to say than to do. John Oberg pits this story of the rich man in, in the Gospel of Luke against the story of Ruth. If you don't know, this, the story of Ruth is, is a spectacular story. A story of, of a Moabite woman who, in fact, gives her devotion to a foreigner. We read in the book of Ruth that uh, Elimelech and, and his wife Naomi travel from Bethlehem to Moab with their two sons, Mahalon and Chilion. Uh, two mouthful names that I'm sure they didn't think of when they were writing the story, but Mahalon and Chilion, they, they travel to Moab because there is a severe famine in the land. And when they come into Moabite, they come into this foreign land, their two sons marry Moabite women. And then in this severe famine, all of the men die in the family. Elimelech, Mahalon, and Chilion, they, they all die. And, and if you were a woman in, in this time, in the time of this story, you, you were considered property, that, that you had no rights, you, you, you had no security for yourself if you were not directly associated with a man. And, and so here these three women are that are now abandoned. And Ruth and, and Naomi abandoned in a foreign land, abandoned in Moab when she was from Bethlehem. She was from Israel. And so she decides to go back home. And so she turns to her two daughters-in-law, these two women that her sons have married. One is named Orpah and the other Ruth. And, and as Naomi heads back to her homeland, she turns around and, and, and really chastises her daughters-in-law and, and, and says, go back home. Go back. Maybe your fathers will take you back. Maybe you'll have, you'll have some success there. You'll have some chance for security. Have, have some chance for something back there. Just, just turn around. Just go back to your home. And at first, the daughters protest. They say, no, 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 you've, you've loved us. You, you've cared for us. We're, we're not going to go back. And, and, and Naomi, another time, turns around and, and chastises her daughters-in-law and says, go back to, to your fathers. They, they will take you in. Just, just go back. There's no hope for you with me. Go back. And Orpah begins to weep. And she kisses the feet of her mother-in-law. And she turns around and she goes back home. But Ruth, this Moabite woman, getting ready to go into a foreign land with her mother-in-law, these two women who have no rights of their own, these two women who have no chance for security, no chance for success, they, these two women go back to Israel. And it's there that Ruth finds a king named Boaz 
who in fact is a distant relative of Naomi, and they find this connection, and are able to provide them sustenance, are able to provide them security, are able to provide them some sense of hope, some sense of this life that they were meant to have, all because Ruth devoted herself to Naomi. Ruth says these words in, in the book of uh, Ruth chapter 1, says these words when they begin to make their trek back to Israel. Naomi says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well if even death parts me from you. This is what it means to open a door for another. This is what it means to be that means of grace to another person. This is what it means to to open that door that God might bless another person. That this is what it means to pledge your devotion, to pledge your life, to pledge your very soul to another person in this way that Ruth did for Naomi. Has it been done for you? No matter where we are, somebody has helped us get there. Somebody has said these words to you. Somebody has done this for you. And it is what we were made to do. In the book of Genesis, we we read this beautiful imagery. Uh, We read this beautiful imagery of God creating the world. And when God decides to create animals, when God decides to create these first living beings in the world, the the scripture tells us that, that he made them out of clay which I think is just an awesome image, right? I mean, if you can just picture God like at this workbench and, and, and just creating all of these animals, the, the way a, a child plays with clay, right? And, and, and I imagine that, you know, all of these angels are just standing around the workbench just watching God play with this clay and make these lives, right? And, and God maybe picks up a piece of clay and snake it over here and the angels get to peek over the workbench right and, oh wow that's that's life that's and then god continues to create more and more animals and then it comes time for the last bit of creation it comes comes time to put this exclamation point on these amazing six days that god has spent and, and he picks up clay and he starts to form the first humans and he places one down on the workbench places another and the angels are peeking over the workbench and god what is that what what are you making what what is this god would say it's it's a human angels say well well who's going to care for that what how how, how are we going to take care of these these humans god would say well will help, but for the most part, they'll take care of each other. God continues, sometimes it's not always going to work out. Sometimes they, they aren't always going to do it, and, and that will be disappointing. But every once in a while, there will be humans 
that love one another, that devote themselves to one another because that is what they were created to do. And when they do that, when, when they act the way they were created to do, whenever they do that, I will call them a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, a child. When they do that, I will call them Christian. Amen.